Hello and welcome back to the DPT School Study Guide. We have reached the final frontier. We are amidst finals week. So best of luck to everybody. We will be going over the final muscles, final groups of muscles of the muscle manual. Today, we will be going over the muscles of the thorax, the abdomen, the pelvis, the neck, and the head. So once again, best of luck to everybody. And without further ado, let's go ahead and get right into it. Starting off with the external intercostal. The origin of the external intercostal is the lower margin of the rib. The external intercostal inserts on the upper margin of the next lower rib, courses obliquely forward and downward. The external intercostal is innervated by the first through 11th intercostal nerves, and the action of the external intercostal is to raise the ribs during inspiration, and it also supports intercostal spaces, as well as stabilizing the chest wall. Moving on to the internal intercostals. The origin of the internal intercostals are, is the lower margin of the rib, the internal intercostals insert on the upper margin of the next lower rib, courses obliquely forward and upward from the costal angle to the sternum. The internal intercostals are innervated by the first to the 11th intercostal nerves, and the actions of the internal intercostals function to lower the ribs during expiration and it supports intercostal spaces as well as stabilizing the chest wall. <clears throat> there you go. Nice little study break for your head tap. Moving on to the innermost intercostal. The origin of the innermost intercostal is the lower margin of the rib. The innermost intercostal inserts on the upper margin of the next lower rib, and it courses obliquely forward and upward from the costal angle to the sternum. The innermost intercostal is innervated by the first to 11th intercostal nerves. The actions of the innermost intercostal lowers, lowers the ribs during expiration, and it supports the intercostal spaces as well as stabilizing the chest wall. Moving on to the subcostal. The subcostals originate at the lower margin of the lower ribs. The subcostals insert on the inner surface of the ribs, two to three ribs below. The subcostal is innervated by the variable lower intercostal nerves and the subcostals uh, action is to depress the ribs during expiration. Moving on to the transversus thoracis. The transversus thoracis originates at the sternum and xiphoid pro process on the inner surface. And the transversus thoracis inserts onto the second to sixth ribs on the costal cartilage on the inner surface. The transversus thoracis is innervated by the 2nd to 7th intercostal nerves. 
and the action of the transversus thoracis is to lower the ribs during expiration. Moving on to the diaphragm. The diaphragm originates on four different parts of the body. So we're going to go over each of them. The costal part of the diaphragm originates on the 7th through 12th ribs on the inner surface of the lower margin of the costal arch. The diaphragm also originates on the medial part of the L1 to L3 vertebral bodies, the intervertebral discs, and anterior longitudinal ligament as right and left crura. The diaphragm originates on the lateral parts, um, the lateral and medial arcuate ligaments. And the diaphragm originates on the sternal part of the xiphoid process, the posterior surface of the xiphoid process to be specific. And the diaphragm inserts onto the central tendon the diaphragm is innervated by the phrenic nerve, C3 to C5 cervical plexus. And the actions of the diaphragm are to um, aid in compressing abdominal viscera. And it is the principal muscle of respiration. Moving on to the rectus abdominis. The origin of rectus abdominis is the pubis between the pubic tubercle and symphysis. The rectus abdominis inserts on the cartilages of the fifth through seventh ribs and the xiphoid process of the sternum. The rectus abdominis is innervated by the intercostal nerves T5 through T12. And it has a few actions as well. The rectus abdominis functions to flex the trunk compress the abdomen, and stabilize the pelvis. Moving on to the pyramidalis. The pyramidalis originates at the pubis anterior to the rectus abdominis. Uh, the pyramidalis is inserts onto the linea alba, and it runs within the rectus sheath. The pyramidalis is innervated by the subcostal nerve, the 12th intercostal nerve. And its action is to tense the linea alba. Next, we have the external oblique. The external oblique originates on the outer surface of the 5th through 12th ribs. The insertion of the external oblique, um, there are three insertions, the linea alba, the pubic tubercle, and the anterior iliac crest. The external oblique is innervated by the intercostal nerves T7 through T12. And there are a few different actions for the external oblique as well. Uh, unilaterally, it bends the trunk to the same side and rotates the trunk to its opposite side. And bilaterally, the external oblique flexes the trunk and compresses the abdomen and stabilizes the pelvis. So where we have the external oblique, we have the internal oblique. The internal oblique has a few origins. Uh, the internal oblique originates on the thoracolumbar fascia, the deep layer of the thoracolumbar fascia to be more specific, the intermediate line of the iliac crest, and the 
anterior superior iliac spine, your ASIS, and your iliopsoas fascia. Your internal oblique inserts on the 10th to 12th ribs on the lower borders and the anterior and posterior layers of the linea alba. So your internal oblique is innervated by the intercostal nerves T7 through T12, the iliohypogastric nerve, the ilioinguinal nerve as well. So a few different actions here, unilaterally and bilaterally. Unilaterally, the internal oblique functions to bend the trunk to the same side and rotate the trunk to its opposite side. And bilaterally, the internal oblique flexes the trunk, compresses the abdomen, and stabilizes the pelvis. Next up to bat, we have the transversus abdominis. The origin of the transversus abdominis include the 7th through 12th costal cartilages on the inner surfaces, the thoracolumbar fascia on the deep layer, the iliac crest, the anterior superior iliac spine, the inner lip of your ASIS to be more specific, and the iliopsoas fascia. The transversus abdominis inserts on the linea alba and the pubic crest, the transversus abdominis is innervated by the intercostal nerves T7 through T12, the iliohypogastric nerve, and the ilioinguinal nerve as well. Unilateral and bilateral actions for the transversus abdominis. Unilaterally, the transversus abdominis functions to rotate the trunk to the same side, and bilaterally, the transversus abdominis compresses the abdomen. Moving on, we have the psoas major. The psoas major originates on the superficial layer of the T12 through L4 vertebral bodies and associated intervertebral discs. And on the deep layer, the psoas major insert, uh, or originates excuse me, on the L1 through L5 costal processes. The psoas major is, uh, it inserts itself on the lesser trochanter of the femur the uh, joint insertion as the iliopsoas muscle. The psoas major is innervated by direct branches of the lumbar plexus, L2 to L4. And the psoas major at the hip joint, at the hip joint functions to produce flexion and external rotation. And... Uh, Unilaterally, it uh, contraction it bends the trunk laterally, and bilaterally, uh, contraction which raises the trunk from a supine position. The iliacus is next up. The iliacus uh, originates at the iliac fossa. The insertion of the iliacus is the lesser trochanter of the femur. Uh, the joint insertion as the ilio iliopsoas muscle. The iliacus is innervated by the femoral nerve, L2 through L4. Its action at the hip joint is flexion and external rotation. At the lumbar spine with the femur fixed, unilaterally, contraction bends the trunk laterally, and bilaterally, it uh, produces 
a contraction which raises the trunk from a supine position. Moving on to our quadratus lumborum. Our quadratus lumborum originates at the iliac crest and iliolumbar ligament. The quadratus lumborum inserts on the 12th rib and the L1 through L4 vertebrae, the transverse processes of L1 through L4 vertebrae. The quadratus lumborum is innervated by T12, L1 through L4 spinal nerves. And unilaterally, the action of the quadratus lumborum is to bend the trunk to the same side. And bilaterally, the action of the quadratus lumborum is to uh, bear down and expiration, and it stabilizes the 12th rib. Moving on to the puborectalis. The puborectalis originates at the superior pubic ramus on both sides of the pubic symphysis. Puborectalis inserts on the anocoxygeal ligament. The puborectalis is innervated by direct uh, branches of the sacral plexus, S4, and the inferior anal nerve. And the action of puborectalis is to support the pelvic viscera. Moving on to pubococcygeus, pubococcygeus. The pubococcygeus originates at the pubis on the lateral uh, origin of the puborectalis. It is innervated by the, I mean, it inserts on the anocoxygeal ligament, and it also inserts on the coccyx. The pubococcygeus is innervated by direct plant, uh, branches of the sacral plexus, S4, and the inferior anal nerve. The pubococcygeus uh, functions to support the pelvic viscera as well. Moving on to the iliococcygeus. The iliococcygeus uh, originates on the internal obturator fascia of the levator ani, uh, the tendinous arch, and it inserts on the anocoxygeal ligament and the coccyx. The iliococcygeus is innervated by direct branches of the sacral plexus, S4, and the inferior, inferior anal nerve. And it also functions to support the pelvic viscera. Moving on to the coccygeus. The coccygeus originates on the sacrum on the inferior end. The coccygeus is, inserts itself on the ischial spine. The coccygeus is innervated by direct branches of the sacral plexus, S4 through S5. And the action of coccygeus is to support the pelvic viscera, but also it flexes the coccyx as well. Moving on to the piriformis. The origin of the piriformis is to is uh, the sacrum on the pelvic surface. Uh, the piriformis inserts on the femur, the apex of the greater trochanter to be more specific. The piriformis is innervated by direct branches of the sacral plexus, S1 through S2. And the function of piriformis is at the hip joint to do external rotation, stabilization, and abduction of a flexed hip. Moving on to obturator internus. Obturator internus originates on the obturator membrane and bony boundaries, the inner surface. 
the obturator internus inserts on the femur on the greater trochanter uh, medial surface. And the obturator internus is innervated by direct branches of the sacral plexus, L5 through S1. And the action of obturator internus at the hip joint is external rotation and abduction of a flexed hip. So now we're going to move on to the muscles of facial expression, the forehead, nose, and ear. For these, um, uh, we are just going to know uh, the actions of these. So we have the occipitofrontalis. The action of occipitofrontalis is to elevate the eyebrows, wrinkles of the skin and forehead. Wrinkles the skin of the forehead, rather. And, uh, and, oh, excuse me, before I forget, all of these muscles of facial expression are innervated by the facial facial nerve, uh, cranial uh, nerve uh, number seven. So let's not forget that. Moving on to the procerus, excuse me. The action of procerus is to pull the medial angle of the eyebrows inferiorly, producing transverse wrinkles over the bridge of the nose. The orbicularis oculi functions as a orbital sphincter to close the eyelids. Moving on to the nasalis, the action is to flare the nostrils by drawing um, the nose towards the nasal septum. Next, we have the levator labi superioris aliqui nasi, or nasi. Its action is to elevate the upper lip and open the nostril. And let's not forget that all of the muscles of facial expression are innervated by the facial nerve, um, cranial nerve number seven. Moving on to the ear. We have the anterior auricular muscles. The action, our actions are to uh, pull the ear superiorly and anteriorly. Next, we have the superior auricular muscles. The actions are to elevate the ear. And then the posterior auricular muscles, which function to pull the ear superiorly and posteriorly. And once again, let's not forget, all the muscles of facial expression are innervated by the facial nerve Cranial nerve uh, number seven. Moving on to the mouth, we have the zygomaticus major, whose action is to pull the corner pull the corner of the mouth superiorly and laterally. We have the zygomaticus minor, whose action functions to uh, pull the lip superiorly. Next, we have the levator labi superioris, whose actions are to elevate the upper lip, dilate the nostril, raise the angle of the mouth. Moving on to depressor labi inferioris, whose action is to pull the lower lip inferiorly and laterally. Next, we have the levator anguli oris, whose action is to raise the angle of the mouth. And it also helps to form a nasolabial furrow. 
And once again, all the muscles of facial expression are innervated by the facial nerve, cranial nerve number seven. Continuing on with the mouth, we have the depressor anguli oris, which functions to pull the angle of the mouth inferiorly and laterally. We have the buccinator, whose primary actions are to press the cheek against molar teeth and expel air from the oral cavity. And it also resists distension when blowing. And unilaterally, it draws the mouth to one side. Moving on to the orbicularis oris. The action of orbicularis oris is to act as an oral sphincter. Next, we have risorius. Risorius's action is to retract the corner of the mouth, as it does in grimacing. And the mentalis, whose action is to elevate and protrude the lower lip. And once again, you know what I'm about to say. All the muscles of facial expression are innervated by the facial nerve, cranial nerve number seven. So now moving on to the platysma. The origin of platysma is the skin over the lower neck and upper lateral thorax. The platysma inserts on the mandible on the inferior border and the skin over the lower face and angle of the mouth. The, the platysma uh, is innervated by the facial nerve, cranial nerve number seven, and the action of the platysma functions to depress and wrinkle the skin of the lower face and mouth, and it tenses the skin of the neck, and it also aids in forced depression of the mandible. Moving on to the Sternal, sternocleidomastoid, the sternal head. The origin of the sternocleidomastoid, sternal, excuse me, the origin of the sternal head of the sternocleidomastoid is the sternum on the manubrium. The insertion of the sternal head of the sternocleidomastoid is the temporal bone mastoid process and the superior nuchal line of the occipital bone. So for motor, the sternal head of the sternocleidomastoid is innervated by the accessory nerve, uh, cranial nerve number 11. And for pain and proprioception, the sternal head of the sternocleidomastoid is innervated by the cervical plexus C2, C3. Now, unilaterally, the sternal head of the sternocleidomastoid tilts the head to the same side and it rotates the head to its opposite side. And bilaterally, it extends the head and aids in respiration when the head is fixed. So moving on, we have the clavicular head of the sternocleidomastoid. The clavicular head of the sternocleidomastoid originates on the clavicle, on the medial one-third of the clavicle to be more specific. The clavicular head of the sternocleidomastoid inserts itself on the temporal bone, uh, the mastoid process, and the superior nuchal line of the occipital bone. For motor, uh, the clavicular head of the sternocleidomastoid is innervated by the accessory nerve, cranial nerve number 11, 
and for pain and proprioception. The clavicular head of the sternocleidomastoid is innervated by the cervical plexus, C2, C3. Unilaterally, the clavicular head of the sternocleidomastoid tilts the head to the same side and rotates the head to its opposite side. And bilaterally, the clavicular head of the sternocleidomastoid extends the head and it aids in respiration when the head is fixed. Moving on to a familiar friend, the trapezius. To be more specific, the descending part of the trapezius originates on the occipital bone, the spinous processes of C1 through C7 as well. And the trapezius, the descending part of the trapezius, inserts on the clavicle, on the lateral one-third of the clavicle. For motor, the trapezius is innervated by the accessory nerve, uh, cranial nerve number uh, 11. And for pain and proprioception, the trapezius is innervated by the cervical plexus C2, C3. So unilaterally, the descending part of the trapezius functions to draw the scapula obliquely upward and rotates the glenoid cavity inferiorly. But we already knew that. Moving on to the anterior belly of the digastric muscle. The anterior belly of the... The anterior belly of the digastric muscle originates on the mandible, which has the digastric fossa to be more specific. The anterior belly of the digastric is inserts itself on the hyoid bone via the intermediate tendon with a fibrous loop. And the anterior belly of the digastric is innervated by the mylohyoid nerve from uh, CNV3, The action of the anterior belly of the digastric muscle functions to elevate the hyoid bone during swallowing, and it also assists in opening the mandible. So we just touched on the anterior belly. We're going to touch on the posterior belly of the digastric muscle. The origin of the posterior belly of the digastric muscle originates on the temporal bone on the mastoid notch medial to the mastoid process. The posterior belly of the digastric muscle is uh, inserted on the hyoid bone uh, via the intermediate tendon with a fibrous loop. And it is innervated by the facial nerve, cranial nerve number seven, excuse me. And the posterior belly of the digastric nerve of digastric muscle functions to elevate the hyoid bone during swallowing and assists in opening the mandible. Moving on to the most stylish muscle, we have the stylohyoid. Please forgive my corny joke. The stylohyoid originates on the temporal bone on the styloid process. The stylohyoid inserts on the hyoid bone via a split tendon. The stylohyoid is innervated by the facial nerve, cranial nerve number seven. And the action of the stylohyoid uh, functions to elevate the hyoid bone during swallowing and assists in opening the mandible. 
And if it's starting to sound a little repetitive, it's probably because it is. Now we have the mylohyoid. The mylohyoid originates on the mandible on the mylohyoid line. The insertion of the mylohyoid is the hyoid bone via the median tendon of insertion. The innervation of the mylohyoid is the mylohyoid nerve from cranial nerve V3. And the actions of the mylohyoid are to tighten and elevate the oral floor, draw the hyoid bone forward during swallowing, and assist in opening the mandible and moving it side to side during mastication, which is chewing. Moving on to the geniohyoid. The geniohyoid originates on the mandible, on the inferior mental spine. The geniohyoid inserts on the hyoid body, or hyoid, the body of the hyoid bone, rather. And the genohyoid muscle is innervated by the anterior ramus of C1 via cranial nerve number 12. And the actions of the genohyoid is to draw the hyoid bone forward during swallowing. And it assists in opening the mandible. Moving on to the omohyoid. The omohyoid originates on the scapula on the superior border. It inserts on the hyoid bone. The omohyoid is innervated by the ansa cervicalis of the cervical plexus, C1 through C3. And the actions of the omohyoid are to depress slash fix the hyoid. And it draws the larynx and hyoid bone down for phonation and terminal phases of swallowing. Next, we have the sternohyoid. The sternohyoid originates on the manubrium and sternoclavicular joint on the posterior surface. The sternohyoid inserts on the hyoid bone. The sternohyoid is innervated by the ansa cervicalis of the cervical plexus, C1 through C3. And the actions of the sternohyoid are to depress slash fix the hyoid, draws the larynx and hyoid down for phonation and terminal phases of swallowing. Moving on to the sternothyroid, not to be confused with the sternohyoid. We have the sternohyoid, which we just went over, and now we are on the sternothyroid. The sternothyroid originates on the manubrium, on the posterior surface. It inserts on the thyroid cartilage, on the oblique line of the thyroid cartilage to be more specific. The sternothyroid is innervated by the ansa cervicalis of the cervical plexus, C2 to C3. And the sternothyroid functions to depress slash fix the hyoid draws the larynx and hyoid down for phonation and terminal phases of swallowing. So very similar, but different names and different insertions. Next, we have the 
thyrohyoid. The thyrohyoid originates on the thyroid cartilage on the oblique line. The the thyrohyoid inserts on the hyoid bone. And the thyrohyoid is innervated by by C1 via the hypoglossal nerve, cranial nerve number 12. The thyrohyoid functions to depress and fix the hyoid, and it raises the larynx during swallowing. Next up, we're going to have a few where we just need to know the innervation in action. So we have the longus capitis, which is innervated by the direct branches of the cervical plexus. And the action of the longus capitis is to is flexion at the he- flexion of the head at the atlanto-occipital joints. Next, we have the longus coli. The longus coli is innervated by the direct branches of the cervical plexus, C2 to C6. And the actions of the longus coli uh, include unilateral and bilateral movements. Unilaterally, the longus coli tilts and rotates the cervical spine to the opposite side. And bilaterally, the longus coli uh, consists of forward flexion of the cervical spine. Next, we have a few more familiar ones. We have the rectus capitis anterior. The rectus capitis anterior is innervated by the anterior rami of the C1 and C2. We have unilateral and bilateral actions of the rectus capitis anterior. So unilaterally, the rectus capitis anterior uh, does fun- uh, lateral flexion at the atlanto-occipital joint. And bilaterally, the rectus capitis anterior uh, does flexion at the atlanto-occipital joint. Moving on to the rectus capitis lateralis, we have the rectus capitis lateralis innervated by the anterior rami of C1 and C2. Unilaterally, the rectus capitis lateralis does lateral flexion at the atlanto-occipital joint, and bilaterally, the rectus capitis lateralis does flexion at the atlanto-occipital joint. Next, we have the scalenius anterior. The scalenius anterior originates on C3 through C6 on the anterior tubercles of transverse processes. The scalenius anterior inserts on the first rib on the scalene tubercle. The scalenius anterior is innervated by direct branches from the cervical and brachial plexus, C3 through C8. And with the ribs mobile, the scalenius anterior elevates the upper ribs during forced inspiration. And with the ribs fixed, the scalenius anterior bends the cervical spine to the same side unilaterally and flexes the neck bilaterally. Moving on, we have the scalenius medius, which originates from the C1 through C2 spine uh, trans- 
transverse processes of C1 through C2, and the posterior tubercles of the transverse processes of C3 through C7. The scalenius medius inserts itself on the first rib, on the posterior uh, aspect of uh, the groove for the subclavian artery. The scalenius medius is innervated by direct branches from the cervical and brachial plexuses, C3 through C8. And with the ribs mobile, uh, the scalenius medius elevates the upper ribs during forced inspiration. And with the ribs fixed, it bends the cervical spine to the same side unilaterally. And the scalenius medius flexes the neck bilaterally. Moving on to the scalenius posterior. The scalenius posterior originates on C5 through C7 posterior tubercles of transverse processes. The scalenius posterior inserts on the second rib on the outer surface. The scalenius posterior is innervated by the direct branches from the cervical and brachial plexus, C3 through C8. And with the ribs mobile, mobile, however you choose to say it, it elevates the ribs during forced inspiration. And with the ribs fixed, the scalenius posterior bends the cervical spine to the same side unilaterally and flexes the neck bilaterally. Once again, if it sounds repetitive, it's because it is. Moving on to the rectus capitis posterior minor. Another familiar friend of ours. The origin of the rectus capitis posterior minor is the C1 on the posterior tubercle. The rectus capitis posterior minor inserts on the occipital bone in the inner third of the inferior nuchal line. The rectus capitis posterior minor is innervated by the posterior ramus of C1, the suboccipital nerve. And unilaterally, the rectus capitis posterior minor rotates the head to the same side, and bilaterally, it extends the head. Moving on to the rectus capitis posterior major, where there is a minor, there is a major. The origin of rectus capitis posterior major is the spinous process of C2, and the rectus capitis posterior major inserts on the middle third of the inferior nuchal line on the occipital bone. The rectus capitis posterior major is innervated by the posterior ramus of C1, the suboccipital nerve. And unilaterally, the rectus capitis posterior major rotates the head to the same side and bilaterally extends the head. Moving on to obliquus capitis inferior. Obliquus capitis inferior originates on the C2 spinous process. The obliquus capitis inferior inserts on the C1 transverse process. Obliquus capitis inferior is innervated by the posterior ramus of C1, the suboccipital nerve. And unilaterally, the obliquus capitis inferior tilts the head to the same side and rotates it to its opposite side. And bilaterally, obliquus capitis inferior extends the head. Next we have obliquus capitis superior. 
Obliquus capitis superior originates on the C1 transverse process. Obliquus capitis superior inserts on the occipital bone above the insertion of the rectus capitis posterior major. Obliquus capitis superior is innervated by the posterior ramus of C1, the suboccipital nerve. And once again, unilaterally, the obliquus capitis superior tilts the head to the same side, rotates it to its opposite side, and bilaterally, the obliquus capitis superior extends the head. Moving on to our extraocular muscles. The superior rectus is innervated by the ocular oculomotor nerve, cranial nerve number three. The primary action of the superior rectus is elevation, and the secondary action of superior rectus is a deduction and medial rotation. Moving on to the medial rectus. The medial rectus is innervated by the oculomotor nerve, cranial nerve number three, and its primary action of the medial rectus is a deduction. Inferior rectus is our next muscle up to bat. The inferior rectus is innervated by the oculomotor nerve, cranial nerve number three. And the primary action of inferior rectus is depression. And the secondary action of inferior rectus is a deduction and lateral rotation. Moving on to the lateral rectus. The lateral rectus is innervated by the abducens nerve, cranial nerve number six. And the primary action of the lateral rectus is abduction. Moving on, continuing on with our extraocular muscles, we have the superior oblique. The superior oblique is innervated by the trochlear nerve, cranial nerve number four. Its primary action of uh, superior oblique is depression and abduction. The secondary action of superior oblique is medial rotation. Next, we have the inferior oblique. The inferior oblique is innervated by the oculomotor nerve, cranial nerve number three. And the primary action of inferior oblique is elevation and abduction. The secondary action of inferior oblique is lateral rotation. Next up, we have the levator palpebrae superioris. Forgive me if I butchered that. On paper, it looks like a Star Wars character. The innervation of levator palpebrae superioris is the oculomotor nerve, cranial nerve number three. The action of levator palpebrae elevates the, uh, excuse me, I didn't fully say it. The action of levator palpebrae superioris is to elevate the superior eyelid. And next we have the muscles of mastication. No, not masturbation, muscles of mastication. But um, all right, I'll shut up and keep going. The masseter. The action of the masseter 
is to elevate the mandible. Next, we have the temporalis. The action of temporalis is to elevate and retract the mandible. We have the medial pterygoid. The action of the medial pterygoid is elevation and side-to-side movements of the mandible. Kind of like if you're Jim Carrey in The Mask, for those of you who have watched that movie, where he goes like, I, 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 I'm like 0 for 10 on these corny jokes. Sorry, everybody. It's finals week. Next, we have the lateral pterygoid. The action of the lateral pterygoid is to do depression of the mandible and protrusion. Um, depression, protrusion, and side-to-side movements of the mandible. Next, we have the muscles of the tongue, the intrinsic muscles of the tongue, to be exact. We have the superior longitudinal, which is just deep to the surface of the tongue. And the action of the superior longitudinal, uh, it does shortening of the tongue, and it curls the apex and sides of the tongue. Next, we have the inferior longitudinal, which is found between the genioglossus and hypoglossus muscles. And the action of the inferior longitudinal is to shorten the tongue and uh, uncurl the apex and turn it down. We have the transverse. The action of transverse is to narrow and elongate the tongue. And the vertical the action of vertical is to flatten and widen the tongue. Now we have the extrinsic muscles of the tongue. And we are just about done here with the last four. Yay! We have the genioglossus. The action of genioglossus protrudes the tongue and depresses the center of the tongue. Next we have the hypoglossus whose action is to depress the tongue. The styloglossus, whose action is to elevate and retract the tongue. And lastly, the palatoglossus, whose actions are to depress the palate, move the palatoglossal fold toward the midline, and elevate the back of the tongue. And that's it, everybody. We did it. We made it through our first semester of DPT school amidst political turmoil, civil unrest, and uh, a freaking global pandemic. And uh, this is, may this, may this moment right here, this, this last, I guess, 10 seconds of this podcast be kind of like a a time capsule of where we are versus where we will be in years to come. And I wish none of us, uh, I wish all of us rather nothing but the best. And maybe we all get hundreds, like I say at the end of every podcast and yeah, that's it. I'm out. Deuces.
Did you really? There's nothing left. The podcast is over. What are you still listening to? There's nothing more for me to say. I finished everything. Everything's done. Go, go study. Go, go, go play it from the beginning. Go. Go.